0: Total annihilation, eternal torment, or total to reconciliation. This is part 14. The text remains the same, which is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Now, our subtopic for today's study is the worm and fire of Gehenna. Amen. I'd like us to turn very quickly to the book of Jeremiah chapter 32, and we'll read a few things there, Jeremiah 32, what do I see here, let me see, praise the Lord, That, that is what I'm looking for. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. That is what should be there. Amen. Did you get it? Okay. It said, and they built the high places of Baal which are in the. Dot again, verse 35. And they built the high places of Baal which are in the valley of the Son of Hinnom to cause your sons and your daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Amen? Now if you go to chapter 19 of the same Jeremiah, verse 6, you're going to find the same thing stated there. Like I already said, it's a kind of, it was a form of worship that Israel was involved in. Jeremiah 19, verse 6. Amen. The Lord said, Therefore, behold the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet or the valley of the Son of Enum, but the valley of slaughter. By implication of the Lord is trying to say there was going to be a change in that same valley where the sacrifices were being offered. Hallelujah. Now turn to Second Kings chapter three. 2nd Kings, did I say chapter 3? No. 23 and
1: verse 10. 2nd Kings 23 verse 10.
0: Are you there? Alright. This has to do with Josiah when he came into the throne the Bible says and he defied Tophet which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom that no man may make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech Hallelujah now just move on very quickly to Mark chapter 9 verse 43 the book of Mark chapter 9 verse 43 the Lord said if your hand causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter into like me, rather than having two hands to go to hell or Gehenna into the fire that shall not be quenched where their warmth does not die and the fire is not quenched praise the Lord Alright, now if you put all of these scriptures together, something is going to come out of it. So a diligent study of the above passages revealed the fact that the practice of sacrificing children to the god Molech was done in a valley called Hinnom, or the valley of Tophet, which, he, which was a thing not ordered by God, neither did he contemplate it at any time, and that King Josiah eventually stopped this idolatrous worship. But they fell this valley as he turned it over for the cleansing of Jerusalem in its reforms. Now, what we're trying to say here is this. From this passage, it is evidence that the children of Israel were sacrificing, or the people of Israel were sacrificing their children unto a particular God in this particular valley, called the Valley of Hinnom, or Tophet. And one good thing about that in Jeremiah 19, the Bible says, God said such a thing have not come to his mind. In other words, he did not order it. He did not combine it. He did not ask anybody to do it. It was not of God. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. It was not of God. And you know, we've been able to establish the fact that what he called the valley of Hinnom, it is the same thing as Gehenna in the Greek. So it's speaking of the same thing. Praise the Lord. Now we also made us understand that it came to a point when Josiah came into power in Jerusalem or in Judah. He now turned that place to somethingness. In other words, you know, like I always make you to understand, this was to the southern parts of Jerusalem and when this city was being cleansed, of Israel, or for you know, the whatever you want to use there, this was the place that they will now be done. Praise the living God. And so, we find that if you read that same uh, story in that Mark chapter 9, verse 43, from the Philip translation, now what you find in your outline is what they're going to get. And it says, Indeed it is Your own, what is it? If it is your own hand that spoils your fate, you must cut it off. It is better for you to enter life meme than to keep both your hands and go to the rubbish heap. Praise the Lord. So what you find as gehenna or what you call hell in the original Greek, the true meaning is rubbish heap. Hallelujah. That thing you call hell in the Greek is gehenna and the true word there in the book of Mark is rubbish heap. Praise the living God. But I want you to get this at the back of your mind because it will help us in some other translations because I have the, I mean other uh, teachings. Because I have the mind that maybe the next thing I'm going to study before one or two words are touching things like maybe forever and river and things like that. Before I begin to explain those words, these are the things I feel I'm going to round up with. Uh, There is another story of the issue of hell which is called Lazarus and the rich man. I'm sure you know that in the book of Luke chapter 16. Now, I just want to give this to you as an examination, I mean as a way of preparing your hearts you go study that story very well, but I want you to start reading from chapter 15. You're going to find out that if you start reading that story from chapter 15 down to 16 of the book of Luke, it's going to make you understand that it is a parable and not a literal thing. It was among the parables that Jesus gave, which has to do like the parable of the coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then it comes to the issue of Lazarus and the rich man you're going to find that's a parable now that thing which is a parable we have always interpreted to mean a literal thing amen praise the living god so i would like to take time to read that before next week so you go back to chapter 15 of the book of luke and begin to read down and you find that it was all parable that jesus gave hallelujah now this is what is giving us problem here because here even when Jesus was speaking, people did not truly comprehend what he was saying. And I told us before that Jesus was not speaking to unbelievers; he was speaking to which people? Believers, his own disciples. He was speaking to his own disciples. He was telling them what can cause them to uh, offend or or cause problem to their faith or the faith of other people and the consequences of so doing. Hallelujah. So it's not a passage, I repeat, that you push on the people that are smoking cigarettes. Amen? Praise the living God. Because your attitude is what is in question. Your attitude is what is in question here. That is what Jesus is dealing with. Your attitude, your character, your approach to issues, to people. Glory to God. So you don't pick it and say, "Well, you're going out for witnessing." and you begin to see somebody drinking along. You say, "If you don't stop this drink, you're going to go to hellfire." That's what Jesus said, according to the book of Mark chapter nine. Amen. That's not what He asked you to go and say. In the true sense of it, what Jesus wanted to say as an evangelist is, "Come unto me, You that labor and heavy laden; I'll give you rest." Amen. He just simply wants people to come back to me. He just wanted to know that their sins have been forgiven. He just wanted to know that everybody that they that carrying before he carried the burden on themselves. They need to live a free life. That is just what they are asked to preach. I'm not going to tell people about hair fire. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, this is why, talking about the issue of Gehenna, as used in the Philip translation, this is why the translation render rubbish heap in verse forty three of Mark chapter nine. So we can see that the valley of Hinnom is the same thing as Gehenna in the Greek, which is rendered as the rubbish word dump or rubbish heap. It is the same thing. It just the same thing. Praise the living God. Now. What then is the significance of the statement of Jesus in this passage? we we'll want to look at the issue of worm that does not die and the fire that does not quench. Because when you see the word the fire that does not quench it literally comes or, or bring to your mind or from the way we've been taught, it has to do with that fire that keeps burning forever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. I'm going to show you something later that will shock you too, as we compare scriptures, other statements of even the prophets as touching the issue of Gehenna or whatever you may call hell. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now I, I would like us to read something from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 22, 18 to 19. Now this has to do with. Uh, uh, Joachim, uh, the son of Josiah himself, Jeremiah chapter 22, is dealing with the reign of Joachim who was the son of Josiah. When Josiah died, Joachim came into power. Amen. Let's look at verse uh, 18 to 19. Hallelujah. Uh, what did the Bible say there? It said, Are you there? Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now remember this it was Josiah that turned the tophet into a rubbish dump. Amen. Now, when eventually died, the son came into power as a king in Judah. And then, there were so many things he was doing. I don't, the time would not permit us to go back. But if you start reading from verse 1, just turn a little bit to verse 1. Let me show you one or two things that will come back here. Thus, hear the Lord go down to the house of the king of Judah and just speak this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. You who sit on the throne of David, and your servants and your people who enter their gates, thus fear the Lord, as if you righteousness, and deliver the plunder out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor share innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do these things, then you shall enter the gates of this house, Riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings, who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall be, become a desolation. For thus fear the Lord to the house of the king of Judah. You are Gilead to me, uh, the head of Lebanon, yet I surely will make you a wilderness. City which are not inhabited, I will do what? Prepare destroyers against you. No know, 7. Everyone with his weapons, they will cut down your choicest cedars and put them into the fire. Are you getting that? How many nations departs at this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done this? Do so to this great city. Then they will answer, Because. They have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worship other gods and serve them. Weep not for the dead, nor bemo him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country. So, you see, all of this is not dealing with the punishment that will come on the city because Joachim was not doing what God intended him to do as a king. Are you understanding what I'm saying? The people are going to suffer. Joachim himself is going to suffer. Now let's go down to verse 18 and then pick it up. Therefore, thus said the Lord concerning Joachim, the son of Jude, Josiah, King of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother. Or Alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him. Saying, Alas, Master or oh, Allah's glory, he shall be buried with the barrier of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond what? Hallelujah. Did you got anything there? Good. He shall not be buried. He shall be cast out. In fact, he said he shall be given the barrier of a donkey. Now you know a donkey does not have funeral ceremony or burial ceremony. When a donkey dies, it is cast away. Now what God is saying is because of the life that Joachim was going to live and the kind of reign that he was going to have, his death is like that of what? Of a donkey. Now what is it meaning? If he's going to die like a donkey, that means himself as a king shall not have a perfidy burial. He shall be cast out did you understand what I'm talking about now I think the place is going to be cancelled the very place that his father prepared to consume the refuge it shall be cancelled of the gate of Jerusalem he'll you be dumped in the valley of profit as well because all this we criminals and dead bodies of dogs and donkeys whatever you want to find that was, you know, go to down his own. we are dumped amen by implication Joachim is going to go to hell did you get that? In their own understanding, and even when that is spoken to Joachim, he knew what God was talking about. He was going to be cast right down into the same valley, and that would mean to us he was taken to hell. Hallelujah. Get down to your heart, mate. So I said I illustrate this fact here with the life of the son of Josiah himself and the person of King Joachim. Who was the king of Judah? The word says, Thus saith the Lord concerning Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Elias, my brother, Alas, my sister. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Now, the meaning of this is simply that King Joachim was not was not buried at all. For asses have no burial, what? Ceremonies, you know, you can imagine what was supposed to happen. A whole king, hallelujah! Uh, you, you know, the kings, even in Israel, you can remember what used to happen if you take time to read the Bible. Most of them were even buried almost in the same place, and sometimes you find that because of the way they raised their barrier and the nature of kingship, and the way they raised their kings as well. A elaborate ceremonies were put in place for them. Even the own traditional setting, you know that. In your villages. Your kings will die and they will leave the cups there, you know, they must have buried the thing or something like that. But they say, well, he's not yet dead. They will leave the announcement for how many months? Can anybody tell us? Or uh, year, yes, sometimes three years or something like that. Yes. It depends on the community. They will not even announce it. And people just just there doing the thing and eventually they come and say of the family announced that the king is dead and they want to do ceremony. And it won't even line up for about weeks and so on. Hallelujah. But here is a king that was just going to be cast away. So he find that he, though he lived, he had asked, I mean, ascended the throne, but the end of his life was not going to be glorious. So going to hell means you're not going to have a glorious departure. I feel like preaching on this. But what? Well. Let's say, about sense here. Hallelujah. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When you start life well and you end up very badly, and it's also here to me. You lost the glory. You have a glory when you are coming up very glorified and arrested. And then you die an ignominious death, a shameful death that is hell. Die the dead of criminals, that is hell. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I mean? Let's think, let the church begin to think, let's see what the Spirit is saying, let's see what the Scriptures has to say. Instead of just taking this piece of thing and be running around and, you know, creating, if I may use the word, heat waves. On TV and all kinds of sessions, all because we think we can read the Bible and get a word out of it. So many theologians, but no God-owned, ordained teachers of God's word. Praise the living God. Is anybody understanding? Okay. So no ceremony for him, because he was going to be no lamentation, no barrier, die like a donkey. Now, what was his offense? Like we read before, from verse 1 to 17, you are going to find his offense. He refused to live out the life, refused to live the way God wanted him to live, Uh, justice, and taking care of people, taking care of the widows and the fatherless, Amen. meeting the need of the needy, everything that God put in place for leaders, uh, I mean, kings to do, he forsook them. And the Bible says he was living his, his cedar houses. That means he was much more concerned about his palace, about his subject, about all those who work with him. And he was never bothered about anybody. We never have things like that. We've ever had things like that in some communities. Some chairmen are even there. They won't do anything to help the common man. Praise the living God. Once they ascend to the throne, it is finished, they just continue to go on doing whatever thing they want Neglecting the sufferings of the masses. And these are the kind of things that the Lord was saying Joachim was involved in, and that if he doesn't repent from them, he, God, was going to cause him to die the death of a donkey. May that not be your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. So let's move on now. Hallelujah. Again, when Israel had sinned against the Lord in Jeremiah 14, Onto the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was very good at using this language, anyway. Um, I don't know what verse we're going to deal with here, but let's 14, 15 is okay for us. Jeremiah chapter 14. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Are you there? Let's look at verse 14 to 16 of Jeremiah chapter 14. It says, And the Lord said to me, The prophet, prophet, lies in my name. I have not sent them. And this is still very common today. Commanding them, no, not spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination of worthless things, and the disease of the heart. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, Sword, famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. Now listen. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of their famine and the sword. They will have no one to do what? Bury them. Them nor their wives, their sons, nor their daughters. For when we pour their wickedness upon them, they will not have someone to bury them. What God is trying to say here is this. Because of what these people were doing, their life they were living, God warned that they should repent. But they refused to repent. And God will not say, I'm going to set judgment upon the land. I'm going to set sword, I'm going to set farm, and anything God uses is what it means. He wants to besiege the city. In other words, He wants to send enemies to the place. Hallelujah. And because of the way they were, they're sitting, when the enemies come to the gates, nobody comes out. And because nobody comes out to trade or to do business or do any other thing, sooner than later, hunger will set in. Hallelujah. And when hunger begins to set in, what happens? People can be eating all their own children. You find such a thing that happens sometime time past. Praise the living of somebody. Okay, then after you find that the enemies will eventually take advantage of the problems of the people and they will approach them. Now, what God is saying is if you send the enemy, two things are going to destroy these people. They are either going to be destroyed through hunger, severe one, or else they are going to be destroyed through what? The sword. Which has to do with the enemy invading the place. Now, what God is saying when He said there is not going to be any burial because of course there's no peace. Where there is war, nobody thinks about burying anybody. Do you understand this? Hallelujah. What do you call that? Now he talks about this fire going to be born in that fire. What fire? It is the fire of the enemy that they're going to kindle in the city. Hallelujah. You know, you can't be thinking about the civil war. The nearest one we can think about is your Worry crisis when things begin to happen. You can, if, if somebody is dead, can you be thinking I'm going to do burial ceremony? No, so the Bible is telling us this whole place is going to be littered with dead curses because nobody will be there to bury them. Now, if a corpse that is not buried is often dumped at Gehenna, what do you think is happening to these people? They are passing through hell. It's just the same thing. Just like Joachim was going to die, the death of a donkey. Amen? These same people, you see, their own people, which are the people of the prophets. Now, you must understand again, the major problem here was coming from the prophets. God may speak to Jeremiah and say, Go and tell these people, and want them to behave themselves. The prophets said, say there is nothing that is going to happen. Praise the living God. Nothing is going to happen. You remember, I can't remember, is it? Chapter what? I can't remember the one that they prophesied when he told them we're going to uh, stay in Babylon, so marry and eat and build houses and occupy and all that. another one said, no, 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 in two years time you are going away. Hallelujah. Now, what was the conflict there? In that case, you find that God was simply saying, I know the number of years they're going to stay in Babylon. Some of your generation are even going to die before you get out. So instead of depleting, instead of reducing in number, begin to marry yourselves and repopulate yourselves where? In Babylon. Because the number of years they're going to stay is quite a long time. But people say, no, no, two years we are living in this place. Hallelujah. Now, these are the things that is already destroying the church as well. Different voices. And sometimes it's difficult for you to actually get the accurate voice. Who is speaking the right word from God? Amen. Praise the Lord. But we find that the consequences of the rebellion of this prophet led God or made God to get down these people, and then they were destroyed. They suffered it. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. They suffered it. Because they did not listen, they did not hearken to the voice of God's own genuine prophets. And so they suffered it. Hallelujah. Okay. So we move on a little bit. Let's get down to the outline. And the Lord said to me, The prophet prophesied in my name. I have not sent them. Commanded them, no, not spoken to them. And the people to whom they prophesied shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of famine and the sword. They will have no one to bury them. Them nor their wives, their sons nor their daughters. For I will pour their wickedness on them. Hallelujah. But you must understand that the average Jewish person by culture carries the burial ceremony more than anything else. They do not play with their dead. I want you to understand this. Hallelujah. I want you to understand this. You will find that all the twelve patriots, right from Abraham to Joseph in Egypt, were buried in one cave that Abraham bought a Ikem, which Abraham bought for the burial of Sarah. Can we turn to Genesis chapter 23? I just want to give you a picture. Genesis 23, look at verse 16. And Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed, uh, maybe we'll get back a little bit. Let's get on to verse 11. Oh. Okay, go back to verse 10. Uh, a bit. Now, Ephraim dwelt among the sons of Hate, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth or we entered at the gate of his city saying, no, my Lord, hear me, I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead, this when Sarah died. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please bear with me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there." And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, "My lord, listen to me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between me and between you and me? So bury your dead." And Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham went out the silver for Ephraim, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of head four hundred shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. Praise the living God. Verse seventeen. So the field of Ephraim, which was a muck feller, which was between memory and the field and cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surroundings, but as what? Did it. In other words, everything was sold out. The caves, the trees, the land, everything in the field. They were not purchased by Abraham, and a deed was written for it. Now, why did Abraham buy this place? The seed of Maphila. He bought it because Sarah was dead. And you see, he doesn't just want to bury Sarah, just anywhere. Of course, where he was staying, people were dying there before, and he must have been having place to be buried. Why didn't Abraham just say, well, where do you used to bury people here? Just like we have what we call maybe a common cemetery. I'm going to make you see, see something here. Praise the living God. Now turn to Act chapter seven and see something. Act chapter seven. Let's look at it from verse 14 to 16 in Act chapter seven. Are you there? Now this has to do with Joseph. who was in Egypt. It's us as the really account now. Praise the Lord. From verse fourteen, then Joseph said, "I call his father Jacob, and all his relatives to him." Remember, as there was heavy famine even in Canaan in the land. Remember that Joseph was already in Egypt. And Joseph sent for his people. All right, seventy-five people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the son of Haman, the father of Shechem. Praise the living God. Did you get anything there? That means, if you want to name all of them, right from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then name the twelve tribe or the 1st sons of Jacob. All of them plus Joseph, we are carried to the same grave from Egypt. Are you getting this? Praise the living God. All of them were buried in the same grave. They were brought back to that place. Remember, Joseph, I think it was just that I made a statement. He said, Take my bones with you when you are going back out of Egypt. Can you remember that? All right. Why do you think they believe so much in their burial? So much so that all of them have to be buried in one place. Basically, they have the hope of resurrection. Do you understand? That is why they don't play with their burials. You find that before a Jewish man gets old, he should have prepared his own tomb. Now when they bury people, they don't just bury anyhow, for us, we don't mind, it's the convenience Maybe you build your house this way and say, this place is okay, let's let's dig it this way, (laughs) just dig that way and then like that, you understand that? But for the Jewish man, his head must face the west, the leg must face the east, why? Because when the man will rise in the resurrection, he will stand and face the rising sun, which is God. Because God, like he said, the coming of the sun shall be like the sun, rising from the east and setting where in the west. So for you to face God, which is the eastern gate in Jerusalem, your head must face the west in the course of your burial, so in the resurrection as you are standing up you are facing your God. They know what they were doing. But you don't have all of that. Is anybody fooling me now? Now with all this background for somebody to tell you that you are not going to have a befitting barrier it means you have no resurrection. Hello? Do you understand it now? So you see when Jesus was speaking the Jews knew what he was talking about. But you do not know. We just take it and preach it in hell. Hellfire. Gehenna. You are we'll talking about it. But they know what they were talking about. They understood the implication of the statement of Jesus. For you to die the death of a donkey, no proper barrier, it means you are not even going to be properly positioned. So In the course of the resurrection, you will not join the saints. You miss out. Are you understanding me? Amen. Is this helping you? I, I want you to understand. Jesus' statement are pregnant with meanings. Hallelujah. Let me digress a little bit. A brother came to the office to ask me one or two questions a few days ago. And one of the questions he asked me is, the Bible says, Two shall be on the field. One shall be taken and the other one left. Wasn't many. was a many. I said, What is the field? For you to understand the field, you go back to Matthew chapter 13. The Bible talks about the parable of the wheat and tares. It said the Son of Man went to sow good seed on the seed. And in the night, when man sleeping, the wicked man came and sowed the tares among the wheat. And in the course of the interpretation, it said the seed is the war. So who are the two men sowing the seed? Jesus, Christ, and the devil. These are the two men. Is it difficult to understand? Not at all. Jesus Christ and the devil. Now, you are the seed that Jesus is throwing. The enemy is throwing his own seed. Where? In this world. Now, when the Bible talks about the one that shall be taken, we already know he has to do with the one that was brought, destroyed. That is what he's
1: talking about.
0: His statements are always pregnant with ideas. He speaks with parables at the back of his mind. And remember the Bible says, why do you often speak to them in parables? He said, to you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom. But to them who are without, it is not given to know. Praise God somebody. So when Jesus is talking about dying the death of a donkey, I want to make you understand the average Jewish man knows what he was talking about. nobody knew that jesus was going to die and be buried apart from the prophet and the statement that were made in Misa, they didn't even believe that he was the one but you know he had a very good cave to be buried that was already prepared whose cave was that joseph of arimathea he had his cave ready do you understand that in fact they so cherish dead because they believe in resurrection so they prepare themselves for resurrection. to so damn, because god not a problem, they have to die to be resurrected. And they don't just have to be dead like that and be thrown away like that. They have to prepare themselves to face the rising sun. When, in the language of the church, the sounds. Hallelujah. Do you understand something? Amen? So that is what we are talking about. Now, for you to talk to a king for a king, job. That was a fear that I was going to die of a donkey. That means he doesn't even have a grave for himself. He doesn't even have a care for himself. So I want you to see what is involved in this matter. At home. Even the bones of Joseph. Can you imagine people with all those sort of people coming out of Egypt and then they carry a coffin along with them? Were they mad? Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want you to see the implication of the statement of Jesus. They carried the whole cough, carried cross all the way from Egypt, back home. And not just to any other place, to the very cave that Abraham bought. Because Abraham represented the kingdom of God. Amen. He spoke to them, says the Gentiles shall come and they shall sit on the same throne in the kingdom with Abraham. Can you remember that? He represents to them the kingdom of God. He's is the father of all nations. So the cave he bought where was buried. That's where everybody has to go to. They wasn't playing with it. So for you to be cast out of out of Jerusalem, it's me. you're not part of the kingdom. It's like another also be cast into outer darkness. Do you understand this? Hallelujah. Now, Jesus has to be laid in the cave, bought and prepared for Joseph of Arimathea for his burial. So you see, to the Jews specifically, those that Jesus was addressing to be cast into hell, Gehenna or the valley of Hinnom is to die an ignominious death, a shameful death without burial. Amen? To be cast away in the valley of Hinnom. Where there are warm, diet notes. I come to verse 44 of Mark chapter 9. Are you following the progression? Praise the Lord. Are we here? Amen? Okay. So what is this one no, that does not die? I come to Mark chapter 9 verse 44 they shall be cast into hell where they are warm not and the fire shall not be quenched what then is this one it is good we understand praise the living God in the first place how come these ones are immortal have you seen one that have immortality fire is burning them and they are not burnt so we have some worms that are immortal in the language of man because of lack of proper comprehension of the statement of Jesus do you understand this how come a worm does not die we don't even take time to find out what this thing should mean hallelujah for we see here that despite the fire of hell burning the worms are not consumed that is taking it literally from the passage isn't it so the worm does not die though the fire is continuously burning I mean so I don't know the people don't die the worms don't die it means anything that I enter into hell doesn't die. Yet, there's still a raw fire going on. It's an exciting scene. I wish some films can come out of this too. Those who do the film, they don't put in worms. Have you ever seen anyone that contains one? Home videos of hell. Well, let's see fire also see worm, but worms are included. Now, could this fire be like this type that consumed the bush? In the days of Moses, in the wilderness, and the bush was not consumed. Have you noticed something like that? Hello? I'm sure you know something like that. In the book of Exodus, the Bible said Moses, and there was this fire that was kindled. He turned around to look, and the fire was burning, but the tree was not what? Consumed. Could that be an ordinary fire? Hello? Praise the living God. You see, the problem is, I, I, I'm always trying to appeal to you. Why we don't get revelation from God's word is because of the jacket mentality that we have. So when you are reading, you are not reading for God to reveal anything to you. You are reading with a preconceived mind. Hell is like this. The fire is like this. The one doesn't die. So it's revision you do. But you see, I think we need to begin to pray like King David. What did he talk about? Anoint my eyes, O Lord. That I might behold what wondrous things out of thy word, O Lord. We need to pray that prayer before we start reading the book. So that you don't see what you think, you see wondrous things from the mind of God. There was a burning bush. The tree was not consumed. That was a mystery. But yet there was fire. Moses saw fire. So if also we find another fire that is being consumed and is burning and once does not die. If we understand that there was a fire that did not consume a tree. Why can't we think about this fire in that same manner? Hallelujah. Praise the living God. The Lord will help His church. If we take it in that light, can we say the fire was literal? Certainly is what? No. Amen. The fire that was consuming the tree or the bush that Moses saw, was it a literal fire? It definitely was not a literal fire. If it was literal, the tree must be consumed. Hallelujah. But it was fire, and the tree was not consumed. It wasn't the literal fire. So if it was not a literal fire, I just want to submit a swear that this is not a literal fire. I will bring the literal aspect much later, but if you follow the language of Jesus, this is not a literal fire. Praise the Lord. Let's move on now. So, what kind of worm is this? In the light of what we already know about Gehenna as a place for refuse or rubbish dump, it becomes easy for us to understand that these worms have to do with the ones that can be found in the remains of the dead corpses that have not been totally consumed. Hallelujah! Did you follow what I said? Eh? If you go to, I think, my portrait... The... Hallelujah. You know, by the other side, by the estate, there is constant fire there. Because people keep dumping things in that place. What? Little valley, you know? It's a depression there. Okay. Constant fire is going on there. Why? Because people... Keep on dumping things in that place. Now, what is this it serving? It's serving a useful purpose to the city. Praise the Lord. Is anybody understanding me? It's having a useful purpose to the city. Both estate and. I've even been there to dump pregnancy sometimes. So all of us go back to dump pregnancy there. Every refuge you produce, you take it there. Whether it's excrement, it goes there. And there is fire there to make sure this thing goes up into ashes. Now, assuming there was a dead goat that was dumped there. You know, when the goat begins to go bad, corruption begins to set in once we come up. I'm sure you know that. As long as the flies are there, isn't it? Okay now if you find a goat there and you know that fire does not boil like uh, your Hamilton type of fire or gasoline type it goes gradually because of the kind of substances that are there sometimes you can have a bar, bar. they are out there and you know it's heavy it take time for that thing to dry out and then gradual consumption are you following what I'm saying now so if you find a goat there and the legs are already to the side of the fire meaning what will happen to the hillside that the fire is not yet affecting? Worms will be there. But if the fire that gets down to where that one is, I beg to tell you this, the one must be consumed. Are you understanding this? So what God is saying is that it's going to be a perpetual place of disposing or the disposal of, it, of refuse. The fire will not go out because more refuge will continue to coming. Listen to me, you suffer hellfire when there is iniquity in your life. The purpose of the fire being kindled by God is to consume your own iniquity. And as long as there are iniquities and sin find in man, the fire will never be quenched. Because that is what it's ordained so for. Hello. Do you understand this? But if the fire eventually gets everything consumed, what will it do? It will go out because there will be nothing for it to consume. Now you don't need to go to that place I've just mentioned and begin to pour water there. When the fire just puts, I think they've already started it, they put some plant there that I saw a few days ago. In other words, they are trying to say, "Dump no refuse here anymore, isn't it? Once you are not bringing anything to that place, what? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What will happen to it? It will go out. Now the fire that was not going to be quenched, eventually you have come to what? to be quenched. What? Because the thing for the fire is quenched, finished. Praise the Lord. Are you going to need the picture? It's so simple. Once you stop producing refuge, the fire will do what? Will go out. It's as simple as that. Now the worms or the decaying substances that have not been consumed, worms are there. So there are constant worms in that same place. Constant worms are there. Because there are things that are just going through putrefication. Now let's move on, if that is clear to you, hallelujah, oh praise God. Now for instance in the process of decay, as the worms come out and the fire is cutting things, it does not do so completely, but depending on the part that is already on the fire, the other half we still have its worms alive, but certainly they will still be consumed once the fire gets there. So we know that margot is bred from portrait substances. But above all, let us understand that in truth, Jesus simply quoted from the book of Isaiah, chapter 24, when, he, when Isaiah was talking about the rain and the anger of God I mean, to the people of Israel. I would like us to go there, Isaiah 66. Talking about when he wants to establish his kingdom and those who do not want to yield to what he's doing and want to eventually be before these people. Let's look at Isaiah sixty six. I think you will like that. To also help every one of us in our conviction of what we're dealing with. Praise God. Hallelujah. You looking so dull. There's no hell in this place. This is a good place. Amen. You can't find hell here. Yeah. This is the presence of the Lord. Okay, Isaiah 66, uh, what verse are we dealing with? Uh, let's look at verse 24, that's okay for us. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, okay, just, uh, let's look at it from verse 23, so that I can trust two people there. The 23 is talking about those who are in faith, those who are believing. Look at it. And it shall come to pass, that from one new moon to another... And from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look. Are you there? Upon what? The corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worms does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh now i have a question praise the lord let us assume that this is hell because it is the same thing the one doesn't die the fire doesn't quench let us assume that this is hell the way we believe it now lord, i want you to see a statement there It said and your fire is not going they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh we talk about all flesh means all nations if you talk what do find our translation, sir? Huh? Is it all flesh? Mankind. Amen? No, mankind? Or mankind. Okay. He said, These people shall be an abhorrent. You know, it's something that uh, you understand, you don't want to see to all mankind. Now, I have a question. If this is hell the way we have believed it, it simply means all mankind shall be walking around hell and seeing those that uh, Praise the living God. Did you follow what I said there? Because he's saying that the wants of these people shall not die and their fire shall not be quenched and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind. Now means all mankind will be seen their corpses. Now if this is the kind of hell we have ever believed, in, it simply means all mankind will be walking around and looking at those burning in hell. You want to believe a thing like that? What is he saying? He's simply talking about his own people that have transgressed his laws and the kind of shame and reproach that will come upon them in the sight of other nations. So, one is simply a symbol of shame. Hallelujah. Did you get this? it's yes, just a symbol of shame it speaks of shame when you're in a disgraceful situation that's warm. and people think that there were literal warm coming from Job very unfortunate how can warmth be out of your body boiling your body and then you take broken pot and be scraping yourself can you do it? but is that not the picture they paint for out the book of Job? or they give you Sunday school? Say, Job hot boys. when you have boil on your face, can even touch it. Let's look of you using broken, broken pots and you be scraping it. Hallelujah! When Job talked about one in his body, he was talking about the disgraceful condition that he was brought to, he was lower from the realm of the glory as it was, as compared to Job 28. When you say, when I walk through the city, when young men see me, they bow down their head and old men will have to sit down. Do you understand that? He was brought out of that glory because he lost everything. His respect was his worth. And all his children, all his wealth, all his cattle have been destroyed by the storm and the wind. He had nothing. He was brought down low. And you know, money commands respect. Wealth commands Respect. Job is no longer a voice in the community because he has nothing to show for it. So he entered into the realm of worms. So even though in this body worms did eat me, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Even though this reproach is upon me, I know I shall be glorified. Come on, understand the statement of Job. Hallelujah. He's just talking about shame, it's not talking on literal worms. Hallelujah. Is anybody getting something? Just just get this. Because when you know these things, it becomes easy for you to read the Bible. As you are reading the Bible, you'll be getting understanding. You read, you know, flow. Hallelujah. The whole thing will be flowing together. Reading with some mindset of what you have been told some 50 years ago. Science is improving, nothing is improving on the Word of God, no revelation. Just shout it. Shout, yeah, 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 yeah. Wham, wham, wham. (laughs) You need to get out of that. Hallelujah. I'm so glad about this. So, that is what we're looking at there in the book of Isaiah. People shall look upon these people. Walking around. So, we can definitely see that this is not looking about literal hell. Somewhere, that the nations of the earth will be walking around our supervising. If the nations are walking around, who are the people to be here? Hmm? Nations are going to walk around to look at the cops of these people. So who are those people there? Oh, the children of God will go to here and all the heathens will be looking at us. Can you see what we are teaching? Can you see what we are projecting? No wonder this is the disciples. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because he was not speaking to unbelievers in the book of Isaiah. He was talking to his people. Mark 9, he was talking to his people. Hell was not a statement made for the unbelievers. <laughs> Nations shall file up, marching, looking at Christians, roasting in hell. Praise God. Hallelujah! Now, just look at it. So, there in verse 44, we've read that before now. It says, "And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me; for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh." Evidently, Isaiah was not talking about what will happen to transgressors on the by and by. If we have to take it to mean the traditional concept of hellfire, does it mean we'll be walking around hell looking at the people being tormented? But here we find that it's talking of the shame that those who did not follow the instructions and warnings of God will face in the eyes of men. When death will come upon them and they will not be buried. But do not forget, it's talking about and toward the people of God. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. I just want you to understand something. You see, I just feel when you know these things the way they are, the Bible becomes a new book to you. It comes alive. Then you can be able to understand precisely what God is saying. Instead of just believing concepts that are not biblically based. They don't have foundation. Most of the things we believe, they have no biblical foundation. They have no truth. In them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Once, let's progress again. Like I said, speaks of shame. I would like us to look at the book of Psalm 22. How many of you understand that Psalm 22 is prophetic of Jesus? Hallelujah. Turn there, Psalm 22. And uh, you see, God will have to help us. The trouble we have is, uh, like I said, the concept we have. And whatever pet doctrines we have, especially if we have some science and wonders following us, we always feel that we have authority, even in God's word. We have some prosperity whatever. We think we have authority in God's word. Hallelujah. Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. A brother questioned me recently and he said, one of our brothers in this country that is actually doing the miracles and the nice and wonder said, God cannot discipline you with sickness. Now that is demonic. Now there is nothing like that. And he came to me and said, Pastor, what about this statement? Do you think God can discipline somebody with sickness? I said, what do you read in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12? The turn of flesh that was in Paul, who placed it there? And why did he place it there? To humble him! Was that sickness or not? And he said he fasted three times and God said no! My grace is sufficient for thee, for you have made perfect work in weakness. But because somebody is a healer, he will never accept that there can be anything like that. Because you want to use that to defend his ministry. That is why we have a problem. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Our ministry is entering into our head and we don't find it wise to go back to the word of God to find out what God has to say. Was he me the afflicted Paul? Is Satan? <laughs> Praise the living God. God will help us. So, you see, we, we're preaching tradition, we're not preaching God's word, we're preaching concepts. We're not preaching God's word. We're preaching our gift. We're not preaching God's word. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's the problem. We don't take time. I'm just tell totally the brother Royce, right? I'm all right, sir. I'm just okay. Satisfy And left. So, how many of you understand that Psalm 22 is talking about the whole life of Jesus Christ? Do you know that? All right. Uh, I can't be able to go through this. But the first verse. Take the first verse. And and I'll just give you a picture. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Who said this in the Bible? Jesus Christ. Can you get that? Why so far from helping me? Uh, Which other thing can I pick for you again? Hmm? I just want to pick some statement that He made on the cross. And you're going to find all of them here. Uh, The verse... Okay, maybe on your own you take time to read and you're going to see one or two things about that. Praise the living God, <laughs> Amen. Now, let me show you something in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delighted in him. Who made that statement? Okay. To who? To Jesus Christ. Hmm? That verse 19 again. Okay. Verse 18. Okay, let's look at verse 18. Okay, they defied my garment among them. And for my clothing, they did what? They cast lots. So, you see, the whole of that psalm is speaking about who? Jesus Christ. Especially on the cross. Now, I pick verse 6. Having established that. what is verse 6 say? But I'm a worm, and no man, a reproach of man, and despised by what? By the people. Who is making this statement now? Now was Jesus a worm? So what is the meaning of what he's saying here? It's a disgraceful death. A disgraceful death. Death of the cross. I'm a worm. Nobody wants to look upon Even God will not even look upon you. Is it clear to us? So we're talking about war. We're not just dealing with the maggots you find on your uh, ice fish that you didn't steam for two days or something like that. I'm not dealing with that. God is not like that. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you like this? These are keys. All you need about this message are nothing but what keys. Once you have the keys, you can preach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, as far as the kingdom message is concerned. All you need is just simple keys, and they just fit into one another. But we don't take time to study. But you see, it didn't say believe, it says study to show yourself approved unto God. Work man that needed not to be what not to be ashamed, rightly devising the word of truth. That is what we would not do. We would rather do it from a theological perspective, and we'll confuse the church the more. But God will help his people. You can check Isaiah forty one fourteen. Let's look at Isaiah forty one fourteen. No time. Fifty-three verse five. All talking about Jesus Christ. Huh? Isaiah 53 verse, uh, verse 3. So talking about Jesus Christ on the cross and things like that. Now let's move on. What is Christ saying here? He's simply describing his realm of humiliation, especially in taking on the form of man. And then he died a shameful death. Because he said, no man. You see, you know the glory that he was. He had the glory of the Father. Before he became a man, hallelujah. Philippians say he taught it not robbing to be equal with God, rather, he took on a form of man, and just beyond that, even the form of a servant. So the Almighty Father became a servant. That's a lower estate. And he didn't just end there, he died on the cross. Hallelujah. They can imagine the kind of death. Now, remember. What was the cross supposed to do? What, what was it made for? Now, don't forget this. The cross was not an instrument of the Jews. I'm sure you know that. Good. It was an instrument of Romans, of the Romans people. It was a Roman government that instituted or establishes the crucifixion. That was not a Jewish pattern. Jewish pattern is torn him to death. The Lord of Moses. Find a criminal, just get your stone. Everybody pick the stone. And then your relationship will start for One on your head, one on, you know. And the other people, until you are dead. That's what Moses prescribed. Amen. Now, but after the time Jesus died, it was the Roman government that was in power. Hallelujah. Now, that death is was meant for criminals. You know, the death of the cross was also made for what? Criminals. So by implication, Jesus died the death of a criminal. Now, what was criminals supposed to do? Or what ought to happen to their causes? Like we've been discussing. Cast down. Here you, know, you find where? on on them. So he died the dead of a criminal. That is what he's telling us. That's how I'm a woman. I'm no man. It's a shame. It's a disgraceful thing. Simple. So woman is not talking about, I repeat, not maggots. God is not dealing with maggots. No. I don't know how we read the Bible. You see a fig tree and you think it's a fig tree. Huh? You read the Bible say fig tree. No. How many of you know fig tree? Have you seen one? It makes that passage have no meaning to you. Because you don't know how a fig tree looks like. Amen. But to the Jews, they understood what Jesus was talking about because they been see fig trees. That is why if I'm telling you about Gehenna, I have to use Bendelech State. Because that is what you know. Do you understand it? that is the way he was teaching too if He you use weak and tough do you understand wit and not do you know what is a wit and tough you don't even know that but to them they understood <laughs> hallelujah let's move on now so he died a shameful day which he did that of the cross so, say that the one does not die simply means it is a perpetual realm of shame. Imagine a person who commits suicide. It is a perpetual stigma in their family. It is a worm that does not die, for it will not re- receive an honorable burial ceremony. It also means for the Jews, who believe so much in resurrection, without burial, he will not rise again. Two things I said there. If one commits in your family. I mean, suicide. Do you know it's a big stigma in that home, in that family. Generations. You see, some people make a reference to it. The great grandfather eh, na Even if nothing warrants nothing. I don't you follow what I'm talking about. Eh, the great grandfather na hangi hangi Come suicide. Like, what happened? Ah, no problem. That's how their family is. That's how they are. And one of the things I responded they have very high anger. So if you don't control it before, you know they will just want anger. Toward fourth generation. You see, see the story being repeated. David, hello? is anybody nobody understanding me? Praise God. It's a stigma. It stays there. It's a shameful thing. People continue to make reference to it. Hallelujah. Okay. So what about the fire that does not quench? In the light of the meaning of Gehenna, which is rubbish dump, for rubbish to be perpetually consumed from a place like an incinerator, as it was in the Valley of Hinnom in the southern Jerusalem, there has to be. It causes fire to leak up the rubbish. Therefore, the fire cannot be quenched because there will always be something for the fire to burn. As long as there is rubbish in Jerusalem. Is it clear? It can go out. Until Jerusalem is totally clean. Except there are no people living in Jerusalem. The fire must be there. Because think about it. You produce waste now every day. Prepare your feet, prepare your animal. prepare any pillings, You just go and dump in there. And there has to be fire there to help consume these things. That's what it means that the fire shall not be quenched. Let's move on. There are two scriptures I would like us to read as we progress on this, which I think is going to help you as well. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we find that in Proverbs twenty-six, verse 20, the word says, when no wood is, the fire does what? Goeth out. Is it clear? Where no wood is, the fire goeth it out. It simply means that what can stop the fire is lack of sin or transgression in the life of a believer, the very city of God. So the Bible says, we are his temple. Amen? Even as the physical Jerusalem was. If there has to be any fire kindled upon us, it's because there are things for the fire to consume. The temple of God or the city of God which is Jerusalem, had this perpetual fire because there were refuse that has to go in there. So in your life and in my life, God will also kindle a fire. And what will the fire do? It has to consume every iniquity that is found in us. I think Isaiah chapter 6, when they say, who will go for us? And so I say, here I am, send me. Is it Isaiah chapter 6? Yeah. I think verse now there about. There's a scripture that is very powerful there. The Bible says, an angel took a live coal of fire with a tongues and tore the lips of Isaiah. What did he say? He said, now this fire tore your lips. Thy sins have been poured and their iniquities, thy iniquities poured and their sins forgiven. Hello? Do you understand what I said? Eh? He said, this fire has torn their tongues. Therefore, their sins are forgiven and their is purged. So the fire deals with sins and iniquity. So, as we read that in Proverbs 26, where there is no iniquity or sin, which is the firewood now, the fire will do what? Will go out. Hallelujah. Let's progress. Let's see if we can finish up here. But I'm sure you follow what I've just said. Okay. Now every filthiness in our lives must be consumed. Then the fire goes out. First Corinthians, nine to eleven, the Bible talks about all those things. No foundation shall name unless that we live by the you know the apostles and the prophets. And it talks about if a man build upon this foundation who is stubble, precious stones, every man's work shall be tried by fire. And if your work is consumed, the Bible says, yet shall you be saved as by what? As by fire. Though your work shall be consumed. What are the works? The nature will be developed. The nature will be developed. But you shall be saved. Yet as by fire. Just like the water that destroyed the people of Noah saved Noah. If the fire of God will destroy wickedness and save the spirit of the man, the same instrument that is destroying sakes, that is what you don't understand. Now, the fire of God is not necessarily annihilation but a purification. Hallelujah! Amen. Okay, oh my. The fire consumes the fields and the spirit is saved. We look at First Corinthians 5, verse 5. Say the same thing. Now, look at it this way. Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to kindle a fire that shall not be quenched. In Jeremiah 17, verse 27. For so the people of God know how loyal they sat that in Jerusalem and the second kings I would like us to turn over the people of God let's read something in the book of second kings what chapter did I say? 25? ok let me see now it came I'm reading this one it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign that's Joachim in the tenth month on the seventh day of the month the tenth day of the month that Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and he camped against it, and they built a stage wall against it all around. Now, you see the way they used to fight it, they come to this place, they don't immediately come in, they'll surround the place. And keep you there, no food, no coming in, no going out until you get frustrated. Hallelujah. And again, you know that they have a lot of walls and they have gates.
1: So you cannot easily enter when the gates are shut. Amen.